you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 25. I want to share what I feel the Lord has put in my spirit for this service. Amen. What a blessing to be here. Beginning right at verse 1. Jesus said, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. But notice, at the midnight hour, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose, they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. Go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, the foolish virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily, I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, Jesus said, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. We certainly are living in the midnight hour. Time is wrapping up as we know it. But there is a cry being made in this last day age, every, every weather phenomenon that we see, the pestilence that we are living through, the civil unrest, all of these things that are taking place. You look to the Middle East and the nation of Israel and all that's going on. These are warning signals and they are the cry that should get the attention of the people of God, certainly. The bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. And that cry is still in a time of mercy and grace. An opportunity is present here in this room and in this moment. And I want to preach for a few minutes tonight on the subject. The door is still open. The door is still open. Let's lift our hands and let's pray and let's ask God to minister here tonight. Oh, Lord, we pray that your word would minister, challenge us, God, and compel us, Lord. I pray that your spirit would reach. Jesus, you told us that no man can come to the Father except that Spirit draw him. And I pray that your word by your Spirit would draw men and women in this room or maybe somebody viewing this online. God, I'm praying that you administer powerfully. God, do what I cannot. Do what mere human effort cannot. But God, we pray by your Spirit that you would do it. In Jesus' name we ask. And we will give you all the glory for it. Let your kingdom be expanded. Let your name be exalted. God, let your kingdom come and your will be done here in this place. God, we pray that you would draw us to an altar of repentance. God, draw someone to a watery grave of baptism. Pour out your spirit upon all flesh, we ask in the name of Jesus. If that's your desire, one more time, lift up a shout of praise and just let God know he's welcome to do whatever he wants to do. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. 
Recently, I've been pondering some of the things that over the past several years, we've been homeowners for nearly 10 years. It will be 10 years this coming February that my wife and I have been homeowners. And over the years, we've taken on some projects, some foolishly, no doubt. Thinking back to the early years of homeownership, I got thinking about some of the projects that we, that we did. And uh, maybe you could ponder this question. What's one of the, the biggest projects that you've taken on in, in your time as a homeowner, perhaps, if you are one? I remember one of the first things I did was I changed the faucet in our bathroom because the old fully functioning faucet wasn't good enough. We had to change it and get a new functioning faucet. Slightly different shade of silver, you know. So, you know, being the plumber that I was not, I changed the faucet. And, uh, you know, where the, where the little stopper goes down into the porcelain bowl of the sink underneath, for those of you that have ever changed something like this or worked on plumbing, there's that little threaded flange and you screw it tight together and then it, it, you know, the rubber gasket, it seals it off. Well, I don't know what I did wrong, but it was leaking. Plumbing is the job. Pastor Jack says this often. I think it came from his dad. But uh, plumbing is a job that always grows. So do it only if absolutely necessary. So it's leaking, and, and I thought, well, that's odd. So I tried everything. I tried the vinyl plumber's tape to no avail. Then I got a, a tube of silicone and thought, well, this will help. So I tried some of that, left it for the 24 hours, came back the next day, turned it on, and wouldn't you know, drip, drip, drip. So I figured, well, I got a lot of silicone here, so I ju- I'm telling you, man, I... I plastered the underside of that porcelain bowl with this, the whole tube, just gone, every bit of it. And uh, problem solved, no more drip, move on, you know. But we sold the vanity years later, a couple years later, whatever, and uh, the lady that came by the house to, to buy it, she looked on the underside and she said, does this thing leak? I said, not anymore. <laughs> she almost left it, but she... Uh, her son talked some sense into her. They took it. It was a good price. I remember one time we tried the whole wallpaper game. You guys ever tried wallpaper? It's of the devil, I'm telling you. <laughs> if you haven't, please don't venture into this territory. Now they have peel and stick. We've done that recently, and that's not as bad. But that stuff that, you know, that's got to pass through the water <laughs> with the glue on the backside, it's no fun. It tested my salvation, i got to be honest. In our marriage, I walked away, and my wife finished that project. And then 10 minutes later, she decided it all needed to come down off the wall. Maybe, maybe two years, but it felt like 10 minutes. I remember one time, I, uh, I looked out my back window. It was the winter time, and snow had just fallen. I was going to go get my shovel from the shed. Looked out the back window, and my shed was not, for the Lord had taken it. It was a uh, little tin shed. It had, come, it had come with the house. And maybe you've seen them. They're just kind of these flimsy little things. Well, I think I know what happened. There was a snow load and it collapsed. But I think I know I, I was a part of the problem. Because the lock was sticking in recent months. And I had gotten weary of trying to wrestle with it. And so there was this thin little sliver of space between the door and the sidewall. And I just figured, well... And I would just pry that wall open, and that's how I would get inside of my shed. I felt like Superman or something, ripping the walls. 
I remember one time there was this, uh, this man that came to buy tires, and rather than opening the shed, I just went, and I stepped inside, and I'm passing tires out through the wall. And uh, he ran away frightened. No, I'm just kidding. But I called my dad. I said, my shed is gone. I need help. And so he came. We dug up the snow, and, and uh, he pried it up just enough. It felt like a mine, mine had collapsed, and it was a rescue mission or something. I'm shimmying in under the roof of my shed, passing out lawnmower and shovels and, and everything else. It was great fun. Rebuilt that. And uh, Pastor Jack helped me with that. We built a shed out of two by six. It was a mistake. They were supposed to send two by four, but they sent two by six. And my neighbor, he said, I just thought you were, you know, really jaded by your collapsing shed. You wanted to overbuild it. But big projects over the years, you know. We've, we've done kitchen renos. You can only wash your dishes in the bathtub for so long, you know. And, and if you've ever had a kitchen renovation, say Amen. Amen. But we see in Scripture, in the opening pages of your Bible, in Genesis chapter 6, how God orchestrates one of the larger construction or building projects found in all of the Bible. And it's all to be completed by a modest construction crew led by a man that you know named Noah. The Bible says, Genesis 6 verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah, the Bible says, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so God proceeds, of course, as many know, to give Noah the plans to what will prove to be an incredible undertaking, building this seafaring vessel, roughly a third the size of what the Titanic would later be. It will house Noah, his family, all animal species, and anyone who would care to come on board to escape the coming judgment. And so overnight, Noah becomes a carpenter and a preacher. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 calls him a preacher of righteousness. And for many, many years, we're not entirely sure exactly how many. Some say 120. When you look at it, maybe it's less than that. But, but, but for many years, Noah would build by day and perhaps in the evening go into the town square and preach. Preach grace and preach mercy and preach an escape from the coming judgment from rain and water floods and all that that nobody had ever seen before it was it was quite something a preacher and a carpenter you see only so long only for so long can god look on and allow the sinfulness of humanity and there came a point for god back in the opening pages of scripture where where he said enough is enough and it's time for me to settle this issue and to right the wrongs that I see. We know God as a God of mercy and grace, and he certainly is. But back then, there came a point where he had deemed it necessary to judge the sinfulness of this world and the evil that had permeated the thoughts and the imaginations of man. And so God finds Noah, a man who finds grace in his eyes, and says, Noah, it's time to start building an ark. And the story of Noah and the ark 
for any of you Bible lovers and borderline Bible scholars among us, the ark is a type and a shadow pointing ahead to the end times and the closing moments of this age. It was Jesus who said in Matthew 24, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were just carrying on living life, eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until that day, that fateful day that Noah entered into the ark. And he knew not until the flood came and took them all away. And so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. When we read of the state of affairs in Noah's day, we can see a picture being painted that resembles our current day. We too can see that wickedness in the 21st century is great in the earth. And it too seems in our day that the thoughts and imaginations of man in our world are only evil continually. There's many places in scripture where we're told about the end of time in the last days, but one of the most succinct places in my view is when Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Paul said, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. That word perilous carries with it the connotation of, of a people that will be in decline, a world in decline. It's what the word means. And here's why, Paul said, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, no self-control, no inhibitions, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. What a picture being painted by the apostle of the last days. And he concludes this little uh, th th this little passage by saying there will be those that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And from such apostolics turn away. We don't, we don't, we love people, but we don't want to be a godless people of God. Just a form, just a shadow of what should be. And we can see, as Paul said, this decline, decline of morality, decline of spirituality happening around us. And though God has promised us that he would never judge this earth again via the floodwaters, there is yet coming to the earth one final judgment that will deal finally with sin and with death and the devil himself. Peter talks about it in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, but the day of the Lord, it will come in a moment when you least expect it, as a thief coming in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all of these things, touch your neighbor and say these things, Everything that we can see, everything that we can touch, everything that is tangible, the possessions that we have, the cars in our driveway, the pews we're seated on this evening, the building we're seated in this evening, all of these things, Peter said, shall be dissolved. And seeing that, what manner of persons ought ye to be? 
Consider your life and how you lead it. Consider your manner of conversation. Consider your manner of godliness. Because everything tangible, Peter said, is temporal. It will burn in a fervent heat in a final judgment at the end of time itself. Peter said, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, people of God, we, according to his promise, we look for new heavens. Our eyes aren't fixated on judgment and fire and sulfur and all of that kind of stuff. Our eyes are fixed on new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Praise God. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, here's our response to all of this. Be diligent. Live uprightly. Live righteously that ye might be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. As it was in the days of Noah. There too is coming soon in our age a judgment upon this earth. But I have not come today with bad news, with doom and gloom, but I have come rather with a message of hope for the church and for anybody else that will hear as Noah, this preacher of righteousness tonight. And it is this, that there is an ark of safety that your soul can find refuge in, and it's called the church of the living God. Though judgment is going to come soon to deal once and for all with all the evils of this world, judgment has not happened yet. The door of the church is still open. The door of this church is still open. Jesus has not yet come back for his bride. And there is an opportunity to get on board the ark called the church of the living God. Hear me today, backslider perhaps, sinner, saint of God, hear me today. There's an opportunity to be spared from the judgment and find peace in your soul, peace with God through Jesus Christ. I'm thankful today that at some point in my life that I took to heart the words of a preacher of righteousness and I got inside this thing called the church and I haven't left yet and I have no intentions of doing so. It's the hope of the world. It's called the church and I'm glad that I can say I'm one of them. Come on, if you're thankful that you took to heart the words of a preacher one day and you said, I want to be a part of that. I want to go to heaven one day. I wonder if you just raise a praise to Jesus right now. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the church. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Come on, give him praise tonight. Thank you, Jesus. And so when giving instructions to Noah on how to build the ark, there are a couple of specific details that I would, hone in, would like to hone in on tonight for a few moments. Firstly, Genesis 6.14, in his instructions, God said to Noah, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and you shall pitch it within and without with pitch. When you study that verse and when you look specifically at the word pitch, it is the Hebrew word kephar. 
And kephar is the verb tense. It's the action tense of the Hebrew word kippur. Perhaps you've heard of the Jewish feast day called Yom Kippur, the, the day of atonement. Kippur means atonement, and kephar, again, it's the verb tense of that, and it means to make an atonement. It's translated as the word pitch in your Bible in Genesis 6.14, but it is kephar, it's to make an atonement. And so literally God told Noah to make atonement for the ark, or to cover the ark, so that when the floodwaters of judgment begin rising, you will be safe. The question tonight is, well, how was Noah saved? We, we, of course, can go to the verse we already read, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and he certainly did, and that was the beginning of the process. But I would say that is not entirely why Noah was saved. Noah was saved, and his family because he got on a vessel that was atoned for. The pitch was applied. The atonement was applied to the vessel, and he stepped inside, and the door shut behind him, and the judgment came, and the floodwaters came, but he and his family were safe. Noah would have been judged like everybody else if he did not get on that ark. And the ark would not have risen on the surface of the waters of judgment and kept its passengers safe had it not been kephard, if you will, or covered with pitch or, or atoned for. And the pitch in the story of Noah and the ark is a picture. It's a symbol, a type, and a shadow of the blood of Jesus that makes atonement for our sins and allows us to escape the coming judgment to this world. We are on a vessel that has been atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ. The word atonement, I often break it down by saying it simply means atonement, at one meant. It is the act of God through Jesus Christ making us one, bringing us together at one with one another. We need the blood of Jesus Christ. We can't do this without the shed blood of Calvary. But how do we ensure that we are covered by this shed blood? Here's how. We must ensure that we are on the vessel that is covered and paid for and, and, and bought, rather, with his blood. If you want the blood of Jesus to cover you, to cleanse you, and to keep you, Here's what you got to do tonight. Get in the church and stay in the church because as long as you're in the church of the living God, you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. As long as you're in the ark, you're in a vessel that's been atoned for to keep the waters of judgment at bay and keep you floating at peace with Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 20, 28, it tells us that God has purchased this church with his own blood. God has purchased the church with his own blood. Now, there's been a, a debate, a theological debate over the years, and, and I'll just tell you how I see it, and, and some more uh, skillful and wise theologian somewhere over here can correct me if I am wrong. People often debate when the blood is applied in salvation. They question, is it, is it when we repent 
Is the blood applied when we are buried in the watery grave of baptism, or is the blood of Jesus applied when we are filled with his spirit? Now, I, I don't know how you see it. When I look at the, the narratives of various stories in Scripture, it seems to point to what I'm about to say. I look at the temple, uh, the tabernacle, and later the temple in the Old Testament, and I see that at that brazen altar where the sacrifices are made and that blood is shed, there's blood there. But then the priest would move forward and proceed on to the brazen laver eventually, and he would begin to cleanse his hands of that blood. And, and so blood was present at the laver of water, and then he would take the blood of the sacrifice, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And so there was blood present there in the Holy of Holies as well. And so I don't know how you see it, but I see blood at the altar, I see blood at the laver, and I see blood at the Ark. And they are all symbolic of repentance at the altar, baptism at the laver, and the spirit infilling at the ark of the covenant. And so all three together work to help push the sins of the people in the Old Testament ahead. One more year, blood present at all three steps. You see, I, I don't know how you see it, but, but my main concern is not exactly when the blood is applied. I believe it's applied in the entirety of the process of the new birth. And I believe that the blood has been applied in a conglomerate sense to the church. And so if you want the blood to cover your life, get in the church. And we understand that we get in the church by repenting of our sins, being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And when I am born into this thing called the church, by virtue of that fact, I am covered by the blood of Jesus that he has purchased this church with. You read Exodus 12, and it seems to support this view. The blood was not applied when the death angel, the final plague in Egypt and Goshen was about to go through the land, the blood was not applied to the individuals in the house. But God spoke to Moses and Moses in turn to the people saying, take the blood of that lamb and apply it to the lintel and to the doorposts of your houses. And your only responsibility, Moses, people of God, is to stay inside the house that has the blood applied to it. Don't go outside until morning. Don't go outside until the sun rises in all its glory. Hear me today. The blood of Jesus Christ is on this church. And if you're grateful to be in the church, I wonder one more time if you can just give God a little bit of praise and say, Jesus, thank you for finding me. Thank you for pulling me out. Thank you for putting me in. Thank you for keeping me. I never want to leave, Jesus. This is just too good. I'm thankful for the church today. I'm thankful for the church. The door of this thing is still open. and There is still an opportunity to have your sins washed away, to step inside that door and to be right with God. Music, come join me. I'm wrapping up soon. You'll notice with me one other detail of the instructions that God gave to Noah. We find it in verse 16 of Genesis 6. God told Noah to be sure to put a door on it. He said, a window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark. So we say the door. The door of the ark 
shalt thou set in the side thereof. With lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. Notice that there weren't multiple doors on the ark, but one solitary single door because there's only one way on board this ark. And his name is Jesus. For Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Jesus would say in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we say the door. We aren't entirely sure of the size of this door. I looked for it. I couldn't find it. Again, some other theologian can come and help us out later. But I would like to imagine that it was a rather large door. I mean, I guess elephants had to go in it. They're big, right? Can't fit in a door this tall. I like to imagine it was a rather large door. In part, I, I think that because we know that Noah didn't shut it himself. We're not sure if that's because he couldn't or just because he didn't. Perhaps it was too large to do so. But all that we know is that during the days of construction, during the days of the building of the ark, there was that open door of opportunity for people to decide to come on board. Throughout the years that Noah, that preacher of righteousness, warned those around him of the coming flood, the door was open and it was ready to accept any passengers that might desire to escape the judgment to come. But there came a moment when the open door of grace, that window of opportunity, if you will, to find refuge and safety was closed. And once it had closed, one can only imagine the despair. There was no longer an opportunity for anybody to come on board and be saved. The Bible tells us, Genesis 7 now, reading from the New Living, verse 13, that very day Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. With them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large and small, along with the birds of every kind. Two by two they came into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes. A male and a female of each kind entered, just as God had commanded Noah. Then, in a moment, the Lord closed that door behind them. And it was all over, but for the judgment. There is coming a day very soon, people of God, everyone that would hear what I'm saying, when the hand of God, according to the wisdom and sovereignty of God, will close this open door of grace to the world. And then will come the judgment. From the cross of Calvary to the rapture of the bride of Christ, we find ourselves in a dispensation of time that many call grace. And like Noah found grace in God's eyes to escape destruction and death, we today have an opportunity to get on board this vessel, to step inside this open door and to find salvation and eternal life, to get in, to stay in, and to be saved. But there is soon coming a day when Jesus will close that proverbial door at the moment when the rapture takes place. 
It's described in the parable we opened with tonight, Matthew 25, verse 10, like this. While they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. I want to be in that number. I want to be in that number. I know for many of us, we have loved ones on the other side. For us in our family, heaven got a little sweeter just this week. I want to be in that number. But for everybody else, the door was shut. For the foolish, the door was shut. I think the saddest words of tongue or pen are the gripping words, it could have been. The multitude that suddenly realizes that Jesus Christ has raptured the bride, they are left behind. They will experience an utter feeling of hopelessness. Despair will be so shattering that great numbers of men and women will likely take their own lives. Millions of people that knew the Bible well but rejected the love of the truth will immediately experience the complete withdrawal of Holy Ghost conviction and instantly they will know that they are destined to spend eternity without God in the lake of fire. A place designed for the devil and his angels, not for us. Evil of the darkest form presently held behind the wall of the Holy Ghost will then be unleashed in this world. The devil and his cohorts even now are working, deceiving, creating havoc, perverting every semblance of that which is good. The level of their activities is great, but they are still limited in this current time. But just as soon as the rapture of the church occurs, this wall of restraint will be gone, and that son of perdition will be fully revealed. Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians that the man of sin will be revealed fully once God's spirit is taken out of the way. When the spirit of God and the church are removed from the earth, it will be no holds barred. He that letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. There will be no restraints against sin. Evil will be pervasive and permeating. And multitudes will be heard screaming in fear and dismay. I could have gone. I could have made it. Certainly those that had heard the word preached by a preacher of righteousness. I could have been in that number if I would have just listened to the call that had been spoken. I could have. Almost. But I missed it. But I have come once again, not with a message of condemnation, certainly not. I pray a message of conviction, but also a message of hope. Because we are not yet, we are soon, but we are not yet at Matthew 25 verse 10. We are at Matthew 25, verse 6. We are in the midnight hour, and there's a cry going out in this world. I don't know every time when you turn on the news, if you care to watch the news or read the news. I don't know if you can hear it. I don't know if you can hear the heartbeat of God trying to get through to the people of this world and even the people of God. I don't know if you can sense the groanings and the birth pains of this world getting closer and closer together as his coming becomes sooner and sooner. But there's a cry going out just like it is in Matthew 25 verse 6. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Get ready. Go ye out to meet him. 
It's a simple message tonight, and I pray it resonates. But I've come to say that the door of this ark, the door of the church of the living God, it is still open. The rains have not begun to fall yet. The fountains of the deep have not broken up yet. God has not closed the door yet. But when he does, it will be over. And so on this side of that moment and on this side of eternity, all that is left is for us to be ready to hear the cry of the bridegroom, to hear that trumpet sound, and in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, to be caught up to meet him. The door is still open. There is still an opportunity to come on board. There is still an opportunity. I don't care whatever place you are at in your walk with God or if there is no walk with God yet, you have the opportunity to repent of your sin today. You have the opportunity. It doesn't matter what season we're in in this world. You have an opportunity. I'd rather, I'd rather get COVID-19, get sick and die as long as I know that I have my sins washed away in the watery grave of baptism, we're going to do it. We're going to do it safe. We'll do it social distance. We'll do all that. We'll sanitize. Make sure that doesn't happen. But, but you have that opportunity today. Somebody say today. And God, it is his will for, to, to fill you with his spirit in this sanctuary tonight. It can happen. If you're ready, if you're hungry for it, if you desire it, God can do that work. And you can get inside this ark. I wonder if you stand together with me. Come on, there's hope in the room today because the door is still open. I know it's a simple message today, but, but the door is open. I wonder if you would just, if you have the Holy Ghost, if you would just begin to pray in the Spirit right now. I feel God drawing somebody. I feel the Spirit nudging somebody in the Holy Ghost. If you've stepped outside the door, it's time to get back inside. If you've wandered a little bit, it's time to get inside. If you've never given your life over to Jesus and said, God, I'm gonna die to my will, to my preference, to my desire, and turn in repentance and give you all. Today is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time. I borrow, I borrow the words of John the Revelator, and I say, Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, but one day God will shut it, but it's not shut yet. The door is still open. The door is still open. <laughs>